Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Welcome to those on our live stream as well. Um, I invite you all to turn to your gospel text today, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Have you ever heard the phrase, get back on the horse? Get back on the horse. I don't know if we have any uh, horse riders here this morning, but uh, Dr. Robin Foster is an applied animal behaviorist and has worked with many riders after a horse injury. So she knows about this reality of getting back on the horse. And she tells a typical story in a work that she wrote, Getting Back with the Horse After the Fall. The arena was buzzing with horses and riders. She fastened her helmet and started to mount, excited about this second riding lesson with her young mare. As she slipped her foot into the stirrup, her horse spooked, lurching forward and spinning, and she was thrown to the ground. After the fall, it took months to recover from the concussion and traumatic brain injury. Her fractured ribs were still tender, but she felt ready to start riding again. She just wasn't sure if the horse was safe. Dr. Foster uh, says this, falls, falls from a horse can cause physical and mental trauma for riders. While broken bones heal, emotional injuries might linger. And emotional injuries are the ones that can really keep riders off the horse. So getting on the horse is actually a really important part of the healing process if you ride horses. Um, You need to learn to trust the horse again. It's one thing for your bones to heal. It's another thing for your heart to heal and to earn trust, uh, to be able to trust the horse again. To know the joy of riding again, to feel the wind in your face again, and, and know the joy on the other end of being traumatized from a fall. Riders need to recover their sense of agency after a traumatic fall. And in a similar way, Getting back to our calling, getting back to following Jesus is a very important part of the healing process for followers of Jesus. Now, in this sermon series, we've observed Jesus speaking words of healing um, to the wounded and to the weary. That's what this series is. It's been take heart, the words of Jesus to the wounded and weary. And we've heard him speak words like be clean and I will heal, and your sins are forgiven to people who lived in leper colonies and suffering children. And we've heard Jesus speak life-giving words to his followers as well, to his disciples, when they were struggling to catch fish or were discouraged after their failure or they were sinking in the sea, and he said words to them like, take heart and follow me, and this is my body, and I will give you rest. His words brought healing to the wounded, and rest for the weary. The words of Jesus calmed fears and removed burdens and forgave sin and restored health and refreshed souls, and they still do. The words of Jesus still do all of those things. Even still, there is a part of the healing process that still needs to happen. It's one thing for his followers to be comforted, For us to be comforted by Christ is one part of the healing process, and it's an important part. But another important part is getting back on the horse to fulfill our calling. 
And so Jesus is going to give his disciples two important directives. Yes, they are directives, loving commands that will help them fulfill their life purpose and help complete the healing process. Without these directives, they would get stuck, and we could get stuck too. We could get stuck in the healing process without the words of Jesus this morning. And so I want us to see this. It's so important. Um, so let's look at the first directive that Jesus gives his disciples. It actually came before this text, and it's the directive to bring their doubts up the mountain. He wanted them to bring their doubts up the mountain into his presence. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus calls his disciples up the mountain, up to see his glory, up to where he is. He called them up to see his crucified and resurrected body. And it's interesting to note that up till now, his disciples had never actually worshipped him. They had followed him. They had learned from him. They traveled with him, apprenticed under him, and at the end, they had abandoned him. But they had never seen him clothed with authority and glory like he is now, even when he was transfigured. Um, they had never fallen down and actually worshipped him as Lord and King over heaven and earth. So for the first time in their life, they see Jesus after his crucifixion, and some doubted. Um, doubt is a normal part of the human, uh, a part of the Christian experience. Like, um, his disciples are in his presence, and they realize, like, we abandoned him right before the worst hours of his life, and he was crucified, but now he's resurrected? And now he's clothed in glory. Is this really happening? Their, their heads are getting around this experience, which is breaking all boundaries of what they know reality to be. And it's taking some time. And they're taking time maybe to think through the implications. If he's really raised from the dead, and if everything he said is true up till now, and if he's invited us here, what are the implications for our life? What is this going to mean for us? Have you ever struggled with doubt? Maybe you've asked yourself the question, you know, is Jesus really good? Or does he actually exist? Is he actually fully God and fully man? Or maybe, can I trust the scriptures? Can I trust the four gospels? Can I trust the epistles and the Old Testament? Is the Bible actually good? You may have asked yourself the question, am I a fool for following Christ? Am I a fool for making sacrifices? In his name. Um, if you've had doubts and you love Jesus, you might feel discouraged by those doubts. You know, doubts can plague us and discourage us and be very distressing. Um, spiritual doubt is often a symptom of spiritual pain, and it can keep us from following Jesus and fulfilling our call. Doubt, I think, is different from unbelief, and we see this in the Gospels. We see Jesus treating unbelief differently. Unbelief is this refusal to believe. It's a resolve to not believe. And Jesus is going to, to confront that. 
Doubt is different. Doubt is more of an inability to believe. Often people who doubt want to believe, but they find themselves unable. And so earlier in the Gospels, we see Jesus offering people who doubt with, um, he gives them compassion and he gives them evidence. Um, When John the Baptist questioned his credentials, are you the one or should we expect another? Jesus offered evidence to him that he was God's anointed son. He said, go and tell them what you see. The lame walk, the blind receive their sight. When Thomas um, was doubting after the resurrection, Jesus kindly offered Thomas an opportunity to touch his hands and his side. So compassion and evidence from Jesus can help us move past our doubt and work through our doubt. And it's important for our hearts to be encouraged and our questions to be reasonably answered. Here we see Jesus giving his disciples something more. He offers them a taste of his power and his authority. And that ultimately is going to bring the healing for their doubts that they really, truly need. In the presence of Christ, our doubts can be healed at a deeper level than even just having our questions answered, as important as that is. And this is my story. I've told you some of this. I'll tell it again that when I was in my early 20s, I went through a significant period of time where I questioned my faith at almost every level. My doubt came from some legitimate questions I had, um, which I was seeking answers to in an honest way. And I've since learned that this is part of sometimes Christian maturity is having doubts and working through them. It can actually become, it can spur you on to deepen your faith and deepen your roots in Christ. Um, But my doubt was also influenced by um, my pride and my immaturity and my sin and and just there were unholy influences over my thinking. In graduate school, my doubt intensified to the point where I couldn't even worship when I wanted to worship Jesus. I'll never forget uh, an Easter vigil service. Easter vigil is like a, originally like a midnight service uh, where you start Easter right at like 12.01 a.m. And it's uh, the like most joyful part of the whole church calendar. You've gone through Lent, you've gone through Holy Week, and now you're at Easter vigil, this service of light. And I hope we can have it in here next, next, uh, next Holy Week. We'll see. But at this Easter vigil I was at in my mid-20s, early 20s, Everyone around me was full of joy. Everyone around me was full of anticipation. And I was stuck. I mean, I felt like there was this spiritual oppression choking out my ability to worship Jesus. And I felt separate from everyone, separate in my pride of like, felt like I was better than them, that I had, I had seen too much and I knew too much to worship with abandon like they were worshiping. And, um, and it felt like a chokehold and it made me sad. One of the pastors prayed over me and Laura during the service. And uh, he said, I feel led to pray for you for doubt. And I don't know if that's something you're struggling with right now. But he prayed a very simple prayer and he anointed me with oil made the sign of the cross on my forehead. And um, there was this lifting of the spiritual oppression that was covering me, making it impossible for me to worship. And I felt more liberated to worship 
at that time than I had felt in years and years. And it was just this joy. It was a surprise of joy. And it was a huge turning point in my spiritual journey. Now, I had questions. Those needed answers. I had discipleship. That needed a process. I needed the compassion. I needed the evidence. But really, one thing that was a breakthrough moment for me was the unmistakable presence of Christ that was actually more powerful than my doubts. Now, Jesus is strong enough to welcome us with our doubts up the mountain. And notice that in this text, there's no old grievances from Jesus about his disciples' lack of faith. And they had plenty of lack of faith in the final moments of Jesus' life. They They abandoned him and they... There was a lot of bravado that all of a sudden led to just running away. But there's no grievances from Jesus about that. And there's no grievances from Jesus about the fact that, I mean, he's come back from death and hell and crucifixion and condemnation, and here he is, and they're still doubting. But he doesn't shame them for that. He doesn't scold them for that. Um, he says, bring, bring yourself, bring your doubts up the mountain. And then he imparts something to them, his glory and his power, which displace doubt like rocks could displace water. Being wounded um, or growing weary can definitely intensify our doubts. We need the real, tangible presence of Christ. And that's why Sunday morning or Sunday worship or wherever city groups gather, wherever the church is, wherever we gather in Jesus' name, it's so important to show up into the three-dimensional presence of Christ when we are able to. We need to see Christ revealed in the breaking of bread and the prayers, in word and sacrament with all five of our senses. We need healing prayer. We need our faith strengthened by the grace and glory of Jesus. And this is one way that Jesus um, brings our healing process to its completion. This is one way he gets us back on the horse is by inviting us, directing us to bring our doubts up the mountain into his healing, life-giving, glorious presence. But then there's a second directive that he gives his disciples, which is also important, and that is to carry his mantle down the mountain. He calls them to bring, his, bring them their doubts up the mountain, and then he directs them to carry his mantle, his mantle of his kingdom down the mountain. To his disciples who were once weak and wounded, Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching you to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Go down the mountain, disciples, and carry the mantle of King Jesus. He's Lord over heaven and earth, and he's sending his disciples to announce everywhere that he's the king, and then to help people um, get into his kingdom through baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and then to begin to live as his subjects, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And um, many will receive this message, and it will be a glorious thing. But the thing is, many will resist this message too, especially other kings, quote unquote, whose power base is threatened by King Jesus. 
So the disciples are going to go down the mountain into uncertainty and danger. They are going down the mountain to push back darkness and push back hell, and there will be hell to pay. Um, Jesus once said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the mantle that his disciples were taking up. Go down and push back the gates of hell. Go down and make disciples. Go down and plant holy church. Wherever you go, whoever you baptize, I'm gonna be in the midst of whatever you do. Speaking, encouraging, energizing, convicting, and sending again. Like Jesus, these disciples would go down with weakness. They would go down suffering. And the power of God would flow through their weakness, would flow through their suffering, and would flow through their just willingness to bring healing to other wounded and weary people all over the world. And they truly would scatter all over the world. Um, Jesus doesn't just impart his healing and his rest and his comfort to his disciples. This is, otherwise their healing process wouldn't be complete. That's one part of it. But he's also imparting courage. He's imparting empowerment. He's imparting his mantle to his disciples. And as they took that mantle into danger, and as they took that mantle to push back the gates of hell, and as the power of God flowed through them, their healing process would be complete. Perhaps no one was more wounded or weary than Patrick. By his own account, Patrick was generally looked down upon as uh, a kid. He was from the sticks, and um, he was held back both by a learning disability and a speech impediment. To the horror of his parents, Patrick was snatched out of the safety of his home by a gang of human traffickers. Patrick disappeared entirely. His parents had no idea where he was. His captors snuck him across state lines, and they forced him to endless days of manual labor for their own profit. And I think it could have been tempting for Patrick to accept weary and wounded as his identity forever and ever. He could have said to himself, you know, I've been so mistreated, this is just who I am. Yet uh, something really surprising happened for Patrick. Instead of turning inward and accepting wounded and weary as his permanent identity, Patrick turned upward to the God that he had ignored all his life. You know, he had been raised by Christian parents, and, uh, but Patrick had rebuffed the gospel until he found himself utterly destitute. And so he turned to Christ right there in the midst of his manual labor. He turned to Christ and asked for, for deliverance. And when he did, the Holy Spirit flooded his heart with God's love. And he experienced that reality, that great biblical reality that God loves and Jesus saves. It just happened for him right there. And he sensed that Jesus identified with, with him so personally you know that Psalm 139, you know everything about me? He experienced like, oh wow, Jesus knows everything about me and he identifies so closely with my suffering that he takes it personally when I am mistreated. And that was so empowering for Patrick from the inside out. It put something really important into his soul. So he knew that Jesus was with him, even in his forced labor, and he began to delight in this. He made his work a cathedral where a temple where he let creation 
be this place of worship, and he actually willingly engaged in fasting and prayer and began to take great delight in long stretches of time where he just prayed even as he was working. Now, by a literal miracle of God, Patrick escaped. At one point, the Lord said, now it's time to run. Now it's time to go. And he was able to escape his captors. He, um, he caught a ride back home and almost died in the process. And um, he greeted an astonished yet incredibly relieved mom and dad when he came home. They begged him, please don't ever leave again. Um, and so um, while he was recuperating, he was sleeping one night, and he had a supernatural vision from the Lord. And it disrupted his life again. And in, his, in the vision, Patrick saw a man coming to him from the land that he had just been freed from. This man was carrying a huge overflowing sack of letters that was spilling out. And um, all these letters were begging him to return, begging him to return. And um, uh, the man in the dream said, please, boy, come walk with us again. And so he realized that he needed to go back. He needed to go back. And his parents were, of course, mortified. But he was commissioned. He knew it. Jesus was calling his, he was calling him back to the place that he had been, been in prison. This was a very important part of Patrick's healing process, to go back to the land of his enemies, to go back to the place of his imprisonment. Um, for evangelism and baptisms, I mean, talk about getting back on the horse. So against all odds, Patrick, who is later known as St. Patrick, returned to the country of Ireland where he was once forced to watch sheep. Now he was, he was caring for the, the people sheep of God. And the honor of his life was to baptize the Celtic pagans, the same people who had imprisoned him. They had treated him like scum. And he baptized all who were converted in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus had authority to heal Patrick's wounds. And because of that, Jesus also had the power to activate Patrick's gifts. And the same is true for us. Our story is going to be different from Patrick's. But if Jesus has the authority to heal our wounds, he has the authority to activate our gifts. If he has the authority to bring healing to us, he has the authority and the power and the mantle to complete that healing process by sending us down the mountain with his mantle. We have a calling to fulfill. And part of the point of the healing process is for that, is for that calling to have its completion. Now, here's the complicated reality for many of us who grew up with a Christian faith. The pressure, right, to fulfill our call, in some cases from this very gospel text, is part of the thing that we're seeking healing from. And so sometimes this great commission, as we call it, has left us weary or left us wounded. Maybe we tried obeying this very text and it didn't go well. Or maybe we didn't have the needed support. Or maybe it was done in a spirit of bravado or competition. Or maybe we didn't live up to the expectations of our parents or our heroes. And so this is a hard text for us to receive. That was also my story. Um, I think one of the reasons that I entered into a season of doubt 
is that I burned out in my first leadership assignment. Um, so much of my first leadership assignment was done in the flesh. It was done out of trying hard. And so when I burned out, um, I just kind of spent several years licking my wounds and spinning my wheels. But the Lord in his kindness met me, encouraged me, set me in a community where healing could happen. And along the way, he sent some key people who helped activate my calling. One memorable time, I remember hearing the words of Jesus as I read the book of Acts. And it was during a time when I had been equipped for church planting, but I didn't actually want to take the risks of church planting. I wanted to hedge my bets and stay off the cutting edge. Someone had encouraged me with this prayer. She said, you know, my husband and I, we're, we're in a time of transition. We always pray, Jesus, lead us to the cutting edge. And when you do, let us follow you. Don't let us lead ourselves to the cutting edge of faith. You lead us, but when you do, don't let us hold back. And so I was like, all right, that's a good prayer to pray. Now, wouldn't you know it? Soon after I prayed that prayer, I had my scriptures open to Acts 9, Jesus talking to Saul on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said to him, when he said, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but you are to rise and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. And it was like the Holy Spirit pinning me to the wall, saying, that is exactly what I want you to do too. Don't leave the city, go to the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Um, but this time, this time, the Lord was ready to teach me to go at his pace, to do it for his glory, to follow his voice. And his command to go into the city came with a promise, you will be told what you are to do. I didn't have to know everything. I didn't have to succeed be perfect, or otherwise um, be a hero. I just had to obey and pay attention to the presence of Jesus who said to us, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. I'll never forget a colleague in D.C. at that time praying for me before I left. And it was the words of Jesus from Acts 18. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be silent, but keep speaking for I have many in this city who belong to me. Hearing these words put holy fire in my bones, and this was also a very significant part of my healing, receiving that prayer and following Jesus. Back to Chicago. I believe many of us are at a turning point. Many of us. We've come to the mountain with our doubts, and we've worshiped Jesus, and he started to heal something but we're not sure if we want to go back down the mountain to follow him into risk and responsibility. We're ready to hear the comforting words of Jesus, but we'd rather tune out the challenging ones. Our healing will not be complete until we experience this promise firsthand. Behold, I am with you always. You could translate it, behold, I'm with you day by day until the perfection of the age, until the end of the age. There's nothing like the presence of Jesus off the mountain. And it's a little different than the presence of Jesus on the mountain, where everything is protected and whole, and the presence of the Spirit is here, and we're unified in his name. That's really important, but there's something about the presence of Jesus off the mountain. When you start pushing back the gates of hell, and when there's hell to pay, 
but even still, Jesus is with you. It's one thing to hear Jesus say, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It's quite another thing entirely to pass through those waters of suffering, for it to touch your skin, for it to cover your body, but for you to be protected by the friendship of Jesus who goes with you every step of the way. It's one thing to hear Jesus' words, go, and as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's quite another thing entirely to walk with a friend as they discover Jesus and have their own doubts um, answered, to do that firsthand and then stand with them on the day of their baptism. It's one thing to hear Jesus say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's another thing to see Jesus use that, uh, that authority to break the chains of injustice in the world, to use that authority to break the chains of oppression over people to break the chains of uh, addiction over people and to watch him do it firsthand. What has the Lord called you to? We all have different callings. Have you said yes to your calling? Have you stepped into it? Have you obeyed? The truth is that we don't get back on the horse alone. We don't get back on the horse alone. The one who is called faithful and true is, is navigating the whole process with us. He helps us get back on, and he, get, he gets back on with us, and he goes at the pace we are ready to go. Do you have doubts? Bring them up the mountain into the presence of Christ where he will impart something really compassionate and evidence-based and glorious and good. He doesn't judge you for your doubts or push you away. Do you your danger? Is there a part of you that hesitates to leave the mountain? Go down the mountain with the mantle of Christ. Let him teach you courage. He wants to put courage and metal inside your heart and soul as you go down the mountain. Shoulder to shoulder with his people, pushing back the darkness. I want to end this series uh, with St. Patrick's breastplate prayer which has traditionally been associated with, with St. Patrick, his life and his ministry. And I invite anyone who, who wants to receive Christ's power in a fresh way to, if you, want to, if you need Christ's power to fulfill your calling and, and complete your healing process, you could just stand as we pray this. And uh, anyone else, you can just open your hands, close your eyes, whatever it might be. But let's pray together now this, this prayer, this breastplate prayer of St. Patrick. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill of far and near, 
Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man or woman who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Lord, let this be our prayer too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.